This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Boker Tov, good morning. How are you? Boker Tov. Um, so a little interesting snippet for people who um, are interested in useless information. Oh, we love useless um, information. Interesting, interesting nonetheless. Mm. Um, Guatemala has a new president in the form of Bernardo Arevalo. He is from the centre-left. He's a former congressman and also the son of former president Juan Jose Arevalo. Now, the interesting thing about Bernardo Arevalo is that he speaks Hebrew. What? And Guatemala Uh is a country that has, I think, something like 900 Jewish souls in the whole country. And they have a president who speaks Hebrew. And... What's interesting is um, how, of course, it's come about that he speaks Hebrew. And the truth of the matter is that his father, um, before becoming president, or actually, I think, after becoming president, um, was the ambassador to Israel. And during the time that his father was ambassador to Israel, Bernardo Arevalo lived here and studied at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He received a bachelor's degree in sociology, and he also studied the history of Christianity in Latin America. And he claims that he still has many friends in Israel from his time as a student at the Hebrew U. And then uh, in the mid-80s, Arevalo, Bernardo Arevalo himself, worked at the Guatemalan embassy in Israel. He was first secretary and consul. So he spent over his entire life 10 years living in Israel. And as a result of that, he speaks Hebrew, the new president of Guatemala. That is so, that is so random, but really, really quite cool. I must say, yeah, exactly the type of useless information that we live for. No doubt about that. All right. Uh, on a very, very serious note, Chevron, yesterday after the show, we got news of a terrible terror attack that, uh, that took place in the area. Give us some information about it. Um, so what we know about the events that took place near to Hebron yesterday was that um, a woman in her 40s, along with her 12-year-old daughter, apparently was hitchhiking along the way um, in Hebron, which uh, around that area, which apparently is something quite commonly done because um, people don't necessarily have um, easy access to transport and, and the local residents pick each other up and, and take them along the way. So she had been hitchhiking on her way to Jerusalem when she was picked up by a local man who lived in the area, Ariel Leib. Um, he picked her up, and the three of them, the woman, the man, and her daughter, were traveling on their way towards Jerusalem when the car was attacked. And what I understand is that more than 20 rounds of ammunition were fired at this car randomly. It was just like without any cause or any reason, randomly fired 
towards the car. The woman, unfortunately, was killed, uh, and uh, um, she um, was seriously injured at the scene, but ultimately um, died at the scene. She was Batsheva Negri, 42 years old, a mother of three children, and a kindergarten teacher uh, in Efrat, um, who lived in uh, the area called Beit Chagai. Um, the driver of the car, Arya Leb, um, was quite seriously injured, and he has now been taken to hospital in Beersheba, to the Soroka Hospital, and his condition is claimed to be stable after he went under, under, uh, after he underwent surgery. He is a father of six children, and he apparently had been on his way to buy books for his children before this new school year begins uh, next week. Um, and the 12-year-old daughter who witnessed her mother being killed right in front of her eyes was fortunately unharmed in the incident. One of the uh, stories that I saw claimed that um, the reason for that this attack was carried out was to commemorate the anniversary of the burning of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which took place in August on August the 21st, which of course was yesterday, in 1969. And this apparently was an incident, which I wasn't familiar with until I read it yesterday, mm. an incident where the mosque was set on fire by Australian Christian tourists. Um, so that was mm. apparently one of the reasons given for this attack being carried out. It sounds to me like a backfill justification yeah, rather than a does. real motivation mm. Mm. Uh, for the attack being carried out. But we can't lose sight of what happens after these attacks, which is, first of all, um, statements, official statements being issued supporting the attack, particularly by the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade and by Hamas themselves, um, lauding the, the uh, person who carried out this terror attack, sweets being handed out at the schools and at colleges and on the streets of Gaza, wherever you um, see people, uh, many celebrations uh, in the aftermath of this attack. Um, we understand that the IDF have now managed to capture two suspects uh, in the Hebron area who are suspected of having been involved or carried out this attack yesterday. Um, the Prime Minister and the Minister of Defence both visited the scene of the attack yesterday and claim that this is really being instigated by Iran. Iran is causing a spike in these attacks. Iran is funding these attacks, and all of the blame was placed very, very squarely on the shoulders of Iran. And so those are the unfortunate events, the very, very sad events that took place yesterday. Of course, our condolences mm. do go to uh, the family, to the uh, to, to, to the mourning family of Bachev and Negri, um, the, the scenes at the funeral were heartrending, um, and three young children, unfortunately, left now without a mother for no real rhyme or reason. Yeah, I mean, and nothing, were, nothing positive can come out of an when, attack. When, like you this. Even, when you even hear that kind of nonsense, and it really is absolute rubbish to say that it's in retaliation for something that happened in 1969 where an Australian tourist allegedly, uh, come on, what, so, so, so go and shoot a mother um, driving her car, it, 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 it's bizarre. It is, it, it's absolutely 
the uh, you know the the it, it's so it's almost a, I mean obviously it's offensive but the the rationale makes it even more so doesn't it um, the rationale is just nonsensical and you know as I say when you see everything that happens both the attempt to try and backfill um, an excuse for a reason and the celebrations that go on on the streets and the handing out of sweets and 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 all of that and these official announcements that come out in praise of people who carry out these attacks, then one wonders where this situation can go to from here Um, because we seem to be just in completely different places. Mm. And therefore, you know, the the split within our society about how to cope with the situation is, is a very, very tough one because on days like yesterday, when you see the ultra-right-wingers who want to go and uh, assert their authority and show force and not allow any um, Arabs to interact with Jews and want to separate and want to um, uh, be very, very tough and, and, and to claim land and to use violence in order to enforce our right on the land. Days like yesterday make you feel that there is certainly some justification to that very, very um, extreme approach to life. But um, overall, Israelis, Jews in Israel, want to live in peace side by side with people. We are, in the most part, willing to make compromises in order to give everybody a little piece of what they want, in order to give them an opportunity to build a life, and not to have to feel that, their days and their life needs to be consumed by carrying out terror attacks in order to assert certain authority and to make certain statements. These people who go down as martyrs uh, or lauded in society are really not the answer to our solution, to, to our problem here. They're just not the answer. Mm. And the more they are made martyrs of and the more they are made heroes of, the less progress we make towards some sort of a solution yeah leslie asking does or like why does no one care in other words the the the, the world uh, world media why does no one care is it because they're just used to it is it because they genuinely don't care uh, do, do jews not count you know i hate that uh, that language but is there an element of truth to it why why don't we see any reaction to this um, I think that it is all of those and maybe more. And there is always this issue of the underdog and the victim and the fact that the Palestinians, irrespective of the fact that attacks like this get carried out, not once or twice, but on an ongoing basis, in spite of all of that, and in spite of the obvious um, uh, education that children are given within Gaza and within the West Bank to become martyrs and to become heroes and to become militants and to um, oppose Israel at every opportunity. In spite of all of that, the Palestinians have succeeded very much in creating this impression on the international community that they are victims. And everybody wants to support the victim. And even when, and especially when the victim stands up, and makes a sort of a military statement in order to try to uh, fight the, their, their underdog status, somehow people support their right to do that because they are victims, because they are the underdogs, because they are the people who are discriminated against. And so therefore, once in a while, for them to stand up and to kill an innocent woman like Bacheva Nigri seems uh, in the eyes of some people to be 
uh, just reward seems to be justified. I, I, I'm not sure how you would, would describe it. Israeli leaders are split as to whether the Saudi, Saudi Arabia should be allowed to have a nuclear program as part of the normalization agreement. So what are the conflicting views? Um, so this is a very, very fascinating story because we can start with the fact that Israel's official policy and official view on the issue of nuclear programs for any reason is that Israel stands opposed to the possibility of a nuclear enrichment program in any Middle Eastern country, no matter what the reason for the program is. And of course, there are nuclear programs that are there for civilian reasons, for the production of electricity and things like that, which on, on the face of it seem to present no threat to anybody at all. And of course, there are the nuclear programs, such as the one that we see in Iran, where it's clearly um, for military purposes, and of course, it wouldn't be difficult to oppose a nuclear program like that. Now, the issue is that the Saudis have raised up the desire to implement a nuclear program, and their at least um, stated objective at the moment is for this nuclear program to be a civilian nuclear mm -hmm. program. They have the desire to produce electricity using um, uh, nuclear power, and they um, have put this to the United States to allow them to develop a nuclear program as part of the normalization process with Israel. And within Israel, there are differing views as to whether allowing, allowing the Saudis to develop a nuclear, a nuclear program would be worthwhile giving in to that particular request would be worthwhile in the interests of normalization, normalizing ties with Saudi Arabia. The interesting thing is that there are really two aspects to a nuclear program. One is the actual enrichment of uranium itself, the cycle of enriching mm -hmm. uranium, and the other is just using the uranium in order to conduct uh, nuclear-related uh, activities. So, for example, in the United Arab Emirates, there is actually a nuclear power plant, but the United Arab Emirates does not enrich its own uranium. So that presents a slightly different context to um, what Israel is, is saying. And I think that what Israel is really opposed to is more about the enrichment of uranium rather than the use of enriched uranium for nuclear purposes, civilian nuclear purposes, whatever they are. Now, why would Israel stand opposed to Saudi Arabia if they signed up to only civilian use of this uh, nuclear power um, that they wish to implement? And one of the reasons is that there is concern that Egypt and Turkey may also wish oh. to jump on the bandwagon and say, hang on a second, if the Saudis are going to be allowed to enrich their own uranium or even develop uh, um, nuclear-powered facilities, we should be allowed to do the same. And so there is something of a fear of something of an arms race or something of a nuclear race within the Middle East that could, once you open the door to one country, that others will jump in and say, hang on a second, if they're going to be allowed to do that, then we should do the same. Interestingly enough, the person who stood up and been very opposed to any form of allowing the Saudis to enrich uranium is Yair Lapid, the leader of the opposition. He has come out very forcefully saying, 
under no circumstances should Israel allow this. On the other hand, Strategic Affairs Minister Ron Derma has said to uh, the PBS News Hour on Friday that Israel would oppose a Saudi nuclear program, but then kind of left the door a little open as to whether the Israeli government is really opposed to that or not. And I think that this is going to be a huge dilemma. We know that Prime Minister Netanyahu is very determined to somehow find a way to normalize relations with Saudi Arabia during the term of his prime ministership right now, and that he might well be inclined to uh, give in to all kinds of requests to be very, very compromising in his approach, just in the interest of achieving this normalization of program uh, of, of relations between the two countries. But um, the of the other little sub-agenda here is that if Saudi Arabia is not allowed to develop a nuclear power in its agreement with the U.S. and Israel as part of the normalization program. Will the Saudis go to China? Will the Saudis go elsewhere, perhaps team up with Russia along with their relations with Iran in order to achieve what they want to achieve? Forget about the United States and Israel. So there's a lot of dilemma, a lot of questions mm. to be answered about exactly how Israel is going to treat this particular issue. And it's going to be fascinating to see how this develops. It really is going to be very interesting. Uh, we wanted to hear about the Ethiopian protest, but we can talk about that tomorrow. These are very, very uh, important conversations that we've been having. I'd love your thoughts, 34519 or 0618951019. That was the Israel Report with Anthony Reich. We can catch uh, Anthony tomorrow morning at 745. That Israel report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebluagency.com.